I guess maybe he needs to average a quadruple double instead of a triple double to get into the starting lineup. But no, seriously, uh, in in light of all that's that's been going on in our nation, and and, and regardless of uh, your opinion of uh, the the folks who won office and and whether you were rooting for them or against them, one thing that we know for certain is this: that as the people of God, we are called to live for a kingdom that is not of this earth, that our, our true citizenship, our true loyalties, and in, in the truest sense, uh, our, our home is not a, a place on this earth. It's not a, a, a physical dwelling uh, in, in this country or this city or this state, but truly in the, in the truest sense that our, our belonging and, our, and even our home, we could say, is... Uh, in the kingdom of God, in a place that is yet to be revealed to us, but a place that we eagerly expect and, and look forward to that day when, when we will meet Jesus face to face, whether it's because he has come again or whether it's because we have passed on from this life and, and, and stand in his presence. And in any event, in the days between now and then, in, in the days that follow from now until that day, may we live as the people of God and may we live in such a way that that our actions, that our behaviors, and everything that we do point people to Jesus. And, and when we look at everything that's going on around us in, in our nation, uh, it, it ought to serve as a, a call to the people of God that the mission we have matters. When we, when we look around us and we see, again, uh, regardless of, of your political affiliation or, or your thoughts on the candidate, that sort of thing, the truth of the matter is, Either you think that this candidate is going to fix it all or you think that, that he's going to break it all worse than it's ever been broken. And the reality is we don't look to any candidate, any, any, any uh, official to save us or rescue us. We understand that Jesus did everything that was needed a long time ago to save us and rescue us. And we live in light of that. And if ever there was a time when the people of God needed to live in such a way that our lives speak it would, be, it would be now, more than ever. And so the passage that we're going to study this morning in Hebrews chapter 12 calls us to understand how we are to live. And essentially, we're going to break these two verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, down into two parts. First, we want to see an exhortation from the Scripture. That is, the instruction of how we should live, what we should do in order to live in light of everything that we've learned this far in the book of Hebrews. And then secondly, we see, better still, the example that was given to us for us to follow. And so again, in the passage, we will see today that Jesus is greater than everything else in this world because the example that we have been called to is the example of Christ. The exhortation that we've received, the instruction we've been given on how to live was modeled and demonstrated perfectly for us by Jesus himself. And so he's greater than everything else, greater than, than any other example that we could follow, greater than, than anyone else that's been listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in this hall of fame of faith and all the great examples of faithfulness that are given to us. Jesus is a true and better example of perfect faithfulness and let us live in the way that he lived and follow the example that he set for us, okay? There's the message, we ready to go? No, of course, right? You're like, no, give us more, please, preacher. <laughs> Let's dig in together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, 
And anytime we see the word therefore in Scripture, we always want to ask the question, what is it there for, right? Because it's pointing us back. So in light of everything that we've studied in Hebrews 11, in light of all of these great examples of faith that have been given to us, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today, may God speak to us as we we study these words together. So we see, first of all, the exhortation. And we don't use this word exhortation a lot, but it starts with the letter E and it fits with the word example, right? So, so I pulled it out of the, the closet and we're going to dust it off and use it. Really, it's talking about the instruction that's given to us. That's what an exhortation is. It's a word of instruction. And so this is a word of instruction directed to us in verse 1 about how we should live. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, in light, of, in light of all of these examples that we've studied in Hebrews 11, but even more than that, in light, of, in light of our understanding that the world is watching, let us run the race. Now, when you think about, when you think about who's watching, who's watching your, your life, every parent knows that kids are watching at even all the moments when you wish that they weren't, right? Right? You can think of examples, no doubt, if you're a parent, of the times when your kids end up mimicking or modeling the behavior that you've demonstrated, and and maybe even at times it's not the the good things that they've picked up on, maybe not your, your best habits or your best characteristics, the things that they have picked up and that they are modeling and demonstrating, but some of the the worst, some of the things that you wish they didn't see. The truth of the matter is, parents know that They're always being watched. Kids are always watching, always listening, right? The truth of the matter is, for every believer, for every Christian, we need to live with this understanding and this awareness that we are being watched. We're being watched. And I don't mean that to sound somehow creepy like it it can if you think about, oh, you know. I just mean in the truest sense that the world around us is looking at us. They see the way that we live. They know what it is that we profess to be true. They understand that you are here on Sunday morning in church, and they know how you live. They they, They know what you claim to be the basis of your life and your faith, and they're watching because they want to know, is it real? Is it true? What you say you believe, does it really change the way that you live? Does it affect not only what you do at 10.30 on Sunday morning, but does it affect the way that you are, the way that you live the rest of the week? And So we need to understand that our lives are, are being watched, that we are in the, in the sense of how it uses the word here, that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, that we are witnesses. We are, our lives bear witness to what it is that we say we believe. And so understanding, this is the picture, right? Understanding, using this, this metaphor of, of a race, that we are running a race and that there is a, there is a crowd of witnesses, a, literally a cloud of witnesses as it puts it. There are people around us watching us, watching the race that we are running, watching us on this race, as it were, through life. It gives us the instruction. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race 
that is set before us. So if we're going to run this race well, if we're going to heed this word of exhortation, there are three things that we need, three things that we must pay close attention to that we see in this verse. The first one is this, is our preparation. Our preparation. It says we must lay aside the every weight is what it says. Lay aside every weight. In other words, lay aside the things that hold us back. Now think about a runner, okay? Because it's talking about running a race. A runner, a runner wants to a runner wants to condition his or her body. They want to be in such good athletic shape that they can run the race well. And so a part of that, of course, is training. Training is is necessary for anyone that's running a race that you've got to train for the race. You want to train for the distance that you're going to run. And, uh, I myself am sort of a, a hack at running. I, I, I don't know that I'm great at it, but I enjoy it, and it's a good way to get some exercise in. And the last couple of years, I've run a couple of half marathons, and, 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 uh, and, and I enjoy, I enjoy uh, running. Even this past week, got out a few different days with, when the weather was good and, and tried to uh, get on the road and, and just put in a few miles. And anyone that that trains for any kind of running, whether you're training for, uh, you know, whether your distance is one mile or, or a marathon, anyone that runs knows that if you want to run that race well, I mean, if you, if you want to succeed, you've got to get out and you've got to train. You've got to put in the work. That's the preparation, right? The training stage of that run. You've got to train for what it is that you want to do. And Essentially, that's what, it's, that's what it's exhorting us to do here. That's what it's instructing us to do. We have to prepare ourselves. Now, there are two specific ways that we are told to prepare here in this sense. One is that we would lay aside every weight, that we would lay aside the things that hold us back, right? And so some of the things that hold us back are these weights that we carry through life. Lay aside every weight. Now, as we're talking about the weights, the things that hold us back, in this sense, first, we're not talking necessarily about sin. We'll deal with sin in a moment, as it does in this verse. It, it specifically addresses the sins which so easily entangle us. But let's understand, first of all, that not everything that would hold us back is a sin. And that's important for us to understand because so much of the time when we think about life and we think about how we're to live and we think about the, the, the example that we're to set for others and even the example that we follow, we, we tend to think in terms of, of black and white, things that we can do, things that we, we want to make life into, and even our faith if we're not careful, into a list of do's and don'ts. I can do these things and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not supposed to do these things. And, and we... We try to live this very rigid, very, very stiff sort of faith that says, okay, here's all the things I can do. Here's all the things that I'm not supposed to do. Now listen, the, the word speaks clearly to things that, are, things that are beneficial and things that are unbeneficial. The word speaks clearly to how we are to live in light of our calling. But I want us to understand that not everything that we should lay aside is necessarily a sin, and, and the reason that that is significant is because as you think about your life, as you begin to uh, sort of inventory, as it will, the things in your life that might be keeping you from experiencing all that God has for you, as you begin to inventory and study the things in your life that might be holding you back from running the race that God has called you to, not everything that must go is necessarily a sin. 
Sometimes we trade, we are called to trade something that is good for something that is better. And sometimes we are called to trade something that is better for something that is God's best for us. And so think about it. Think about it, right? What are, what are some of the things that weigh you down? Not everything that weighs us down is a sin. Maybe it's the way that you use your time. Maybe something as, as, as practical as your time management is a, a weight that holds you down because you just waste time doing all kinds of pointless things, right? And so there's not time for the things that you need to focus on, not time for the things that deserve your truest attention and, and, your, and, and your really, we could say, your, your best attention because you waste time on things that don't matter. Maybe, maybe for you, the weight that holds you back is the significance that you give to the opinions of others. Maybe it's how much time you spend trying to manage what everybody else thinks of you and what everybody else sees when they look at you. And maybe for some of us, it's how much time we waste managing the opinions of others. And I'm talking about like social media, every form of social media, right? How much time we spend on a phone or, or some other device. And we're not everything that we are called to give up. Not everything that weighs us down is a sin. Facebook's not a sin in and of itself. It's just a computer program, right? Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, those things aren't in and of themselves sinful. And yet, how many of us spend countless minutes, maybe even hours a day, scrolling through a feed, wondering what everybody else is up to, wondering what they thought about what we said we were up to, Instead of that time that could be devoted to being in the Word, spending time in prayer, devoted to uh, working on ourselves spiritually, preparing ourselves for the race that we're called to run. See, not everything that we're called to give up is a sin. Not every weight in our lives is necessarily a matter of right versus wrong. Sometimes we're called to examine our lives and give up things that Paul puts it this way in in 1 Corinthians 9, things that are beneficial and profitable. He says, everything, not everything for me is profitable. In other words, Paul's saying, there's a lot of things I could do, but I don't do because it's not putting me where I need to be. It's not pushing me to be who the Lord wants me to be. It's not helping me train for the race that God has called me to run. And so sometimes we have to look at the things that are holding us down and we have to consider what it is that we, what we need to give up. You know, what's, what I always have sort of laughed at when I think of in my mind, in the day and time when this would have been written, athletes that were competing in the Greek games ran naked, you know? Uh, they took seriously this idea that they were to put aside every weight and everything that was holding them back. Now, I'm not saying that we need to uh, strip ourselves naked, as it were, of everything in life. But we can learn a lesson from understanding that, listen, sometimes there are things in life that maybe the Bible doesn't say this is sin, this is wrong, but that doesn't mean that it deserves the amount of tension, energy, focus that we give it. And so, for the sake of our growth, maybe it's got to go. But then, of course, secondly, it does address more specifically sin. And sin, and notice the way that it describes sin here. Sin, which clings so closely 
Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The truth of the matter is sin does cling closely. Sin is hard to get rid of. Sin is hard to overcome. And the the reality is that in and of ourselves, in our own strength, in our own power, we lack the ability to overcome our sin. None of us can conquer sin on our own. And yet, praise God, we don't have to because Jesus conquered sin for us already. And what we must do is focus on being obedient to Him, focus on running the race that He's called us to run, and eliminating the distractions, the weights, and and, and the sins themselves. Now, I don't believe that it's possible for us to completely rid our lives of sin. This side of heaven, anyway, we're always going to wrestle against the flesh. We're always going to wrestle against the, the, the sin that clings so closely. And yet... I do know from my own experience and from what I've witnessed in the lives of of others that I look to as as an example to follow, that it is possible for us to walk with the Lord and to lay aside the weight, every weight, and and to so wrestle and battle against sin and the flesh that over time, we progressively, we become more and more like Jesus. And that's exactly what we're being called to here. Run the race. And if we're going to do that, first of all, we have to prepare. So our preparation is key. Second of all, our participation is, is essential, right? Let's just put it as, as plainly as we can. You can't run the race if you aren't running, right? I mean, you can't be running the race if you're sitting on the couch or if you're, if you're standing on the sidelines. Anyone that is called to run a race has got to run. Now, that may seem painfully obvious, but the truth is there are far too many Christians today who are on the sidelines or on the couch, as it were, watching life pass them by. So years ago, when I decided that, I first decided I need, I need to do something more for activity, like I've got to do something more to get exercise in. And so I decided I was going to start running. This has been, I don't know five, six years ago or so. And, and I, I first started using the Couch to 5K app. Anybody else ever used that before? The, the little Couch to 5K app that you can get on your phone? Well, there needs to be like a spiritual Couch to 5K app for some Christians, right? Because we have far too many believers that are on the couch and that need to get out and go for a run. I'll never forget the first time that I decided that I was gonna run, and it had been years since I had run. I mean, literally years. And, and I put on my shoes and, and I ran, and I had no idea how far I had run. I just ran until it hurt so bad that I couldn't run anymore. And, and I thought to myself, all right, well, that's going to have to do for today. What I know now, because I, I run more and I wear a GPS watch and that sort of thing, that I didn't realize then is I ran about three-tenths of a mile before I was, before I was done. I was just ready to cash it in. That's all we got for today. All right. Listen. If you are on the couch, so to speak, spiritually, don't expect to get off the couch and and run a marathon tomorrow, right? It's going to be baby steps. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. And and I can't promise you that it won't be painful. In fact, really, it's kind of the opposite. I can promise you that it's going to be painful along the way. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to require discipline, and it's going to require focus, and you're going to have to work at it and not give up. 
But here's what I know to be true, is at the end, it's always worth it. Anytime I ever go for a run, before I start, whether I'm running three miles or whether I'm running 10 miles or, or, or whatever, right? Before I start, there's always part of me in the back of my mind that thinks, I don't want, you don't want to do this, do you really? I mean, you, there's so many other things that you think of that you could be doing, and, and you really have to discipline yourself to whatever it is, right? Running, working out, any kind of exercise that you write. But in the end, when you're done, don't you always look back and think, I'm glad I did that. You never regret it. And I tell myself that often. Listen, you may not want to run now, but you've never gone on a run and thought afterward, well, that was a waste of time. I shouldn't have done that, right? In the end, it's always worth it, just the benefit you get from exercise and getting out and moving, sweating a little, that sort of thing. Listen, our Christian walk is the same way. There will be times all along the way when you're thinking to yourself, I don't really, this is a lot of work. Am I ever going to really get there? It's too much and that sort of thing. But I can promise you that every bit of discipline that you exert, every bit of, every bit of, of, of intentional focus for the way that you live your life, every time you spend time in the Word, every time you go before the Lord in prayer, everything that you're obedient to as the Holy Spirit begins pointing out all the things in your life, you will never look back and say, well, I regret that. I really wished I wouldn't have done that. You know, there's never been a sin in my life that I have wrestled against and, and done everything I can to, to weed that out and to give that up. And I look back and I think, well, that was a waste. I really did enjoy that. And I, uh, uh, it's too bad that I, that I quit sinning, right? No. I always, I always reap the reward, the benefit of self-discipline in my spiritual life. And so as we think about Running this race, we have to prepare ourselves, but we've got to participate as well. You've got to get in the race. You've got to get in the race. You've got to run this race. We need to stop sitting by on the, on the couch, as it were. We need, to, we need to get engaged with the race that God has called us to run. And then third, the third key in this verse, verse 1, is the word perseverance. We've got to run with endurance. With endurance the race that is set before us. We've got to persevere. We endure the hardships along the way. Look at what it says in verse 3. Jump over to verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, talking, of course, about Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, if you want some motivation to persevere, you want an example to follow of why and how you should persevere? Then look no further than Jesus, who endured hardship and hostility against himself from sinners. Listen, the race that we are called to run in this life requires, demands of us that we have perseverance because we will, we will have to endure a lot in this life. And it's different for every one of us. There's no way that I can say, here are these five things that we will all endure and we have to be ready to endure. There will be some shared experiences along the way, no doubt. I believe, particularly in light of the, the, the fact that we live in the same community, we're in the same culture, we're, you know, there are going to be some shared experiences, yes. But then there are going to be some things about your race that are different from everyone else that you see running. And the key is, You've got to stay in your lane, okay? You've got, to, you've got to run with perseverance. You've got to stay in your lane. It's easy for us to begin to look at others around us and say, well, you know, it would be easier for me 
it would be easier for me to walk with Jesus if, if, if I had what he had. Or it wouldn't be so tough for me if only my life was like her life and I had all of these things that she has and all of these things were afforded to me the way that they've been. Right? And it's so easy for us to begin to look at other people and, well, if my life was just like so-and-so or if I just had this circumstance or that circumstance or if I just had this job or this relationship or if I had gone to this school or had this training or if we lived in this neighborhood or if we, if, if we went to this school... And it's so easy for us to look at other people. But the truth is, every one of us has a, a lane that we've got to stay in. We've got to, we've got to run in our lane this race that we've been given. And we've got to run with perseverance, with endurance, the hardships, the difficulties that come along the way. And so your race may not look exactly my, like my race. The hardships that you go through may not be the same things that I go through. But the truth of the matter is, all of us can draw strength and encouragement from Jesus, who is the example that we're to follow. And so that's the second piece of this puzzle that we're putting together as we study these verses. So we see the exhortation, that is the instruction that we're to run, we're to be prepared, run with preparation, with participation, get in the run, race, run the race with perseverance that we endure, we keep going. But now let's look at the example that we've been given to follow. Last year, when I ran the Oklahoma City Memorial Half Marathon, I wanted to improve my time from the year before, and so I had kind of this target goal in mind. And along the way, for the race, there are pacers. And so, as we're lining up for the race on that morning, I needed to find, it was my, my, my self-appointed mission was to find the, the pacer for the time that I wanted to run, which happened to be a a, uh, a two-hour, 15-minute half marathon. Some of you, that may seem incredibly slow, but hey, these old legs keep moving, right? That's as long as you don't quit, I guess. And so that was my goal. So I found the pacer, and, and through the race that day, I did. I stayed with the pacer, and I actually dropped a little bit behind toward the end, and, and I finished just over 216, and so I was a little bit off of my, my desired pace. But the thing that kept me going, the thing that kept me on target was this little person, little person, it wasn't that little of a person, but a person running with a little orange flag that said on this orange flag, two hours, 15 minutes. And, you know, they're running, and, and there's a whole, there was a whole clump of us, a whole group of us running with the pacer. Well, here's the thing. What this is telling us is that in life, Jesus is our pacer, if you will. He's the one that we follow. If you want to run well the race that God has laid out for you, then what you need to do is you need to look to the example of Jesus who has run the race before you already. That's the point of what Hebrews has been teaching us all along about Jesus being a greater example. He went through this life. He endured the hardships, the pains, the trials that we've gone through, and yet he did not sin so that he might be for us the perfect example to follow in this life. And so let's, let's consider the example that Jesus gives us for the race that we're called to run. The first thing we see in verse 2 is that Jesus' example is foundational. It's foundational. In other words, the, the, very, the very foundation for what it is that we do of our faith and our belief, the very foundation of the life that we are called to live is the example that Jesus provided for us. His example is foundational. So it says in verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's what it describes Jesus as. In other words, it's, 
it's to say that Jesus is not only, Jesus is not only the, the founder of the faith in the sense that he thought it up, but he perfected it as well. In other words, if you want to know how am I to live, then study the word. Look to the example that Jesus set before us. Let's think about it, just a few things. There's no way I could, I could spend, there's not enough time this morning to list in, in great detail the example that Jesus gave for us. But let's consider a few things about the example that Jesus set for how we're to run our race. First of all, Jesus was humble. Here he was, the God of all creation, who willingly endured punishment and suffering at the hands of those whom he created. That's, that's the ultimate act of humility. We're called to be humble in the way that we run our race. Jesus was consistent. You look at, look at the scripture and you see these habits of things that he does time and again. The study of the word pulling away from others to spend time with the Lord in prayer, crying out to God, right? There's so many examples. He was consistent in the race that he ran and in the example that he gave us. Jesus was compassionate. He was loving. He was just. He was righteous. He was courageous. There are so many ways that we can look at the example that Jesus lived and it's far too common today that we want to, that, that, that in the world that we live in, people want to, to pull out just one or two. And, and the truth is, if we don't keep all of these things that Jesus did in balance, then our spiritual lives don't look like the, the example that Jesus set. For, for example, Jesus was loving. There was no one more perfectly loving than Jesus. He offered up his life for us in the Gospel of John says that greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus gave up his life for us. Yes, Jesus was loving. But in the world we live in today, we elevate love above the righteousness, the holiness, the justness, the mercy, the, all the other attributes of Jesus as well. So it's, it's too easy to single out that one thing and say, well, look, Jesus was loving. He would want us to love. And so the, the perfect ideal of how we're to live our lives is, is love. And all you need is love. And we overemphasize the love and we lose the righteousness, the holiness, the justice of Jesus' love as well. You see what I'm saying? It's too easy for us to get things out of balance if we aren't looking at the example Jesus gave. And I don't mean that we cherry pick the one or two things that we really want to zero in on. I don't mean that we read through the Gospels and we throw out the miraculous and we throw out the things that are divine and we're just looking for the abiding ethic. No, I mean we study the Word of God. I mean we look to the example of Jesus. Both the things that seem natural and easy and especially those things which are hard for us to do. And we follow that example foundational for us. It's the very foundation of what our, our faith itself rests upon. The Word became flesh, Jesus himself. Second of all, we see that Jesus in his example was faithful. We, in this verse, we see that he faithfully endured the cross, the founder and, of our, our, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame in other words, Jesus endured all the suffering, all that he went through, and he was faithful, a faithful example. But you know what else I love about that verse? It tells us why Jesus was faithful. You know the reason why Jesus was faithful, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? It's for you and for me. 
for the joy that was set before him. For the prize, right? The prize of the race that he was running in. What was that prize? What was that joy that he was seeking? It was us. We were his prize. We were the ones that he was seeking to ransom and redeem us from sin. To rescue us from the futility of this life that, that, we, are, that we are enslaved to because of our sin so that we might not have to experience the wrath of God poured out in righteousness against sin. So he ran with endurance the race, despising the shame. In other words, considering you and I of greater reward than anything else that he would endure along the way. And that's the kind of faithful example we're called to. That we would run in such a way that we see people as the prize the way that Jesus sees people as the prize. To run this race so that regardless of what others may think of us, regardless of what others may say of us, regardless of how they may speak against us or revile us, no matter what kind of heat we may draw for taking a stance on, on the biblical truth, that we would run the race that has been set before us faithfully the way Jesus did, believing that what's at stake is the prize that he was seeking, the joy that he ran for. You and I, the souls of, the souls of men and women, that's the prize that we seek. That's the reason we run this race. And then finally, we see in the, in the example of Jesus that it was functional as well. It's foundational, it was faithful, but it was functional. In other words, there was a purpose. There was a reason why Jesus did all of this. He wasn't just going through this life aimlessly as though he said to himself one day in heaven, I'm bored. I wonder what it would be like to live like one of them. No, friend, there was a plan from the beginning that God was working that at just the right time he came into this earth to live life among us as one of us and yet different from us because he was sinless and perfect. And he offered himself on the cross as the payment for our sin that he might conquer sin and death, ransom and redeem us from our sin. No, there was a purpose in Jesus' example so that we might follow him, so that we might experience life through him. It's functional. It's practical. There was a purpose that he was serving for you and for me, and that was to save us We've seen already in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was the mediator of a new covenant between us and God. In other words, Jesus was the one who placed himself in the gap. He stood in for us. and He made a way for us to be forgiven and set free from our sin. He mediates this new covenant so that he might now, even as it says, sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Even that is a picture of of this continued role that he plays as the perfect high priest. The one who sits at the right hand of the throne is the one who, the one who serves as the liaison, the representative between the king and the people, right? This is a picture of the fact that Jesus serves as the mediator, the high priest between us and God. He is the one, literally, that made the way because, as he says in John chapter 14, he is the way, the truth, the life. So he gives us an example that is altogether functional. It serves a purpose for us. Through Jesus, we can be forgiven and set free. He's more than just a figurehead when you think of someone who 
has power, at least a title, but no real, no real practical power, right? They're a figurehead, someone who holds an office or a title, as it were, but, but there's no real power to do anything. Now, listen, Jesus has all the power that he needs, all the power in the world, all power are his. He chooses to use that same power to forgive and set free those who are trapped and burdened by their sin when they turn to him in faith. And so the exhortation is, let us run the race that's set before us. The example is Jesus himself. Let's follow Jesus. Let's run the race. Let's walk, as it were, in his footsteps as we run this race that is set out before us. This morning, I wonder, what things in your life do you need to lay aside so that you can run the race that is set before you? Maybe not everything that you're called to lay aside is sin. Maybe some of the weights that you need to lay aside are in and of themselves good things, but they are things that are keeping you from what God has for you, and you need to lay them aside. Maybe there are sins that cling so closely, that have you trapped, that have you just in bondage, and what you need today is some spiritual freedom from those sins. Friend, look to Jesus. The answer for us is that we would look to Jesus. Today, maybe you find that you're, you're on the sidelines. You're, you're, you're on the couch, as I've described it. And you need to get in the race, and you need to run. And it may not be that you start out at first running a, a full sprint, right? You're going to have to develop some endurance, some perseverance. But don't quit. Don't quit. Look to Jesus, the example, who ran the perfect race so that you might know how it is that you can run in this life. And don't quit. Endure with perseverance the race that's set out before you. Let's look at his example, his foundation, his faithful example that he never gave up because he understood that what was at stake was you and I, the souls of men and women. And he now sits at the right hand of the throat of God serving this purpose, this function for us, mediating a a new and better covenant, a covenant that was established through his blood for us so that we can be set free from sin. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response today. Maybe as we're here today, there there is an area in your life, an area that that you recognize, I've got to lay some things aside, some, some weights that are, that are holding me back, some sins that are keeping me from running the race that I'm called to. If that's you, then in this time of invitation today, I pray that you would come. Our altars will be open for you to come and, and kneel here. And, and certainly you don't have to come and, and kneel here at these steps in order, to, in order to lay aside those weights. But can I tell you, there's something powerful about the kind of obedience that's willing to take action. And even just something as simple as stepping out and walking forward and, and being exposed as it feels like in front of everybody else, right? That there they are praying. There's something powerful about that that cements this, this, this call that God has placed on you, that you're gonna walk in obedience to him with whatever it is that he's called you to. Maybe some today need to lay aside away. Maybe for some it's that you've got to get in the race and start running. You've got to get off the couch, off the sidelines, and you need to begin to run. You're not using the spiritual gifts that God's given you. You're not, you're not spending time in the Word. You're not spending time with the Lord. You're not really focused on Him. You, you never really ask, what would the Lord have me do in any situation? How would God have me live? You just you come and, and, and you just kind of are going through the motions, and what you need to hear is it's time to run. 
It's time to get off the sidelines and run the race that's been laid out for you. For some, maybe it's so easy to be distracted by what everybody else is doing and, and the race that they're running. And what you need to hear today is that God wants you to persevere, to endure, to stay in your lane and run the race that he's laid out for you. We need to follow Jesus who gave us a foundational example. He himself made the way. It's through him that we come to faith. He gave us a faithful example. He never quit. He endured. He lovingly endured the cross for us. And we need to persevere as well. And, and ultimately, he's, he's given us a functional. There's a practical purpose, not only to how he lived, but to how he's called us to live. And we need to seek to walk in the way that Jesus has called us to live. Friends, none of this is possible unless we first have faith in him. And so today, in this moment, when we stand and sing this song and, and the invitation is open, if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I pray that you would come. Let us walk you through a prayer of faith, devoting your life to him. Essentially, it's your way of saying, I'm, I'm, putting, on my, I'm putting on my running shoes. It's time to start running the race. Or maybe you need to come and you need to spend a moment in prayer, either with our staff or here at the altar. Getting right before God so that you can run the race that he's called you to, the way that he's called you to run it, right? Let's pray together. Lord, now as we, as we enter into this moment,